you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Thanks again for tuning in, guys. You know, I've always been fascinated with international cultures and really the passion for food and family come together. And in this particular week's episode, more so than ever, it all begins in the country of Greece, where Dimitri Kosmides had raised two sons around the restaurant business. Now, Dimitri had opened 25 plus locations while raising two boys in Greece, and they were raised in the business. They did everything, back of house, front of house, running the register, cooking, learning the business inside out. Family vacations were all spent in the restaurants. And then after Dimitri decided to retire after building a super successful business, the boys actually brought him back in so that they could introduce Greek street food culture to the U.S. in a concept called Apola Greek Grill. Now, it's all about the secret sauce of running restaurants, the passion, the creativity, and the true care for the quality of the food and the customers. Now, we're talking about secret recipes that have been handed down for over two generations and how this is all becoming a fast-growing franchise. You're not going to want to miss this. So many key learnings here. What a wonderful personality Yanni is. Listen on, and thanks again to this week's sponsors. Whether you're just starting a restaurant or expanding your concept, you need a powerful web domain name. Restaurantbrands.com has 1,000 restaurant domains with new names available regularly. All these are .com domains, which are, of course, the dominant extension that your customers assume and expect. You don't want to lose traffic to your site or business with a non-.com extension. Restaurantbrands.com, you can get a relevant domain for just about any type of restaurant or cuisine, even those trending huge right now for curbside, takeout, delivery, touchless, contactless, and even ghost kitchens. With 24-hour customer support and easy pay options, including pay over time as a lease to own. You can even stop at any time if you're not 100% satisfied. Go to www.restaurantbrands.com today for your exclusive 25% off deal. Just use the coupon code RESTAURANTROCKSTARS at checkout. That's just one word, RESTAURANTROCKSTARS, to get the URL that truly fits your business and builds your brand. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. As you know, engaging topics to help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences, and introduce something new and exciting to the USA. So with me today, I'm really excited. I've got Yanni Kasmides, and he is from a company called Apola. He's the CEO of a Greek restaurant franchise concept based in California, two locations now. Welcome to the show. Yanni, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, I love this because, you know, you're obviously of Greek origin and, you know, the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial dream is so alive and strong in this country today, even during COVID. So I really like what you're offering because I've been to Greece, I think twice in my life, really excited. You know, I spent a lot of time in Athens and in the area they call the Plaka that's really all about that street food experience. I've spent time in multiple islands in the Cyclades. I mean, I love your country. I mean, the culture is rich. The food is incredible. The sunshine, the beaches, the, 
you know, the whitewashed buildings. Everyone has a vision of what Greece is all about. You know, the colorful costumes and the pageantry. There's so much to it. But culture is really based on passion for food and, and drink and family. I know these things because, like I said, I've spent time in your country. So I'd really like to start with your story because I know it really begins with your family and your father, Dimitri, and he started a restaurant and it grew pretty significantly. And that may have been a huge in inspiration for you. So tell us about that whole transition before you started Apola. Yeah, so it depends how far back you want to go. I mean, I can go as far back as to when my dad started working as a fry cook at a restaurant in a not-so-good area, not-so-safe area, because he ran out of money to study. He ended up in California. He ended up in the United States with a scholarship in uh, agricultural engineering back in the 70s. He ran out of money. He ended up in California and started working as a fry cook. And he thought it was a joke. He, he thought it was easy money, easy work, because he was a kid that grew up on, on a farm. You know, just labor-intensive, hard farm work growing up. So just lifting the baskets in the fryer for him was really easy money. And then that's how he got to learn the business. And he purchased his first Italian restaurant and grew it back then, I think, from $3,000 a month sales to $30,000 a month sales in the 70s, which was pretty good. You're talking about two things now, Yanni. We're talking about work ethic, which I'm getting the picture is really part of, is it part of the Greek culture, like a really strong work ethic, or is that just something that was your family's uh, sort of approach to life? You know, it's both. I like to say that Greek work ethic is probably at a level of eight or seven, and we're probably at a level of, as a family, nine or ten. So gotcha. people have this misconception about Greece that we're just sitting at the cafeterias all day long drinking coffee or on the beach or whatnot. In reality, um, Greeks have the most labor hours, uh, weekly or monthly, however you want to see it, than any other European country. Mm -hmm. There's a strong work ethic, but there's also strong... Uh, let's say party ethic, entertainment. <laughs> oh, yes. Uzo. So, <laughs> I hate to use this uh, common quote, but in Greece, general people work hard, but they also tend to play hard. So yeah. let me ask you, why did your dad start an Italian restaurant? I mean, that seems like sort of counterintuitive. I guess I would have thought, mm -hmm. like you, he would have been so inspired by his homeland and by the Greek culture that he would do a Greek restaurant. Why Italian? Well, for starters, he didn't have the luxury that, thank God, my brother and I have um, to choose. He, his main thing was just he had to survive. He had to make money. And that's kind of what he came across. Um, I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly how the opportunity came across for the Italian restaurant. But it was another Greek person that owned it. Mm. And I believe they were family friends or someone they had met. I and see. on their way out, they sold it to him. Uh, but it's not just about art. It's not just about Greek food. It's about food in general. You go to East Coast, you see the Greek-owned diners. You go to, I believe, anywhere in the United States, if you go, one out of ten restaurants might be out of uh, owned by a Greek or was owned by a Greek at some point. Gotcha. It's just it's part of our blood to entertain people, the hospitality, to treat people nice, treat people like family. And I believe that's what makes Greeks successful in the restaurant business in general. 
And you grew up at an early age working in those restaurants, right? So you were immersed in the whole hard work, work ethic, you know, whatever it takes to make this successful, customer service, dishwashing. I mean, you probably did it all, right? Yeah. At a young age? Did, and uh, I don't know if it's so much, if it was so much to instill the work ethic in us or if it was for him to save some money on bus plays. It was one or the other. I don't know. But we did, uh, we did grow up our summer vacations. We were basically busing tables, cleaning tables. And I remember even putting a milk crate in front of the register so I could take orders because I, I wasn't tall enough to reach. But it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the system, but an old system. And I still to this day remember a lot of the codes. Yeah. Uh, for cheeseburger special, for example, was 7 PLU. Burger special was 6 PLU. These things just, when I was seven years old, that just got instilled in my brain. So we, that, that was our vacation. That was our so, summer vacation. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally get that. I mean... Is there a point that you remember where you really started to enjoy the business? It became about hospitality. It became more than just the culture and the family and the customer relationships that you built, which is so important in this business. But at some point, it hits us like a ton of bricks. I can't see myself doing anything else. I'm either going to stay working in this family business or I've got an idea for a restaurant on my own. And you you made that transition at some point. You might have hit a crossroads where you just decided to dedicate your life to this new concept called Apola, which is now a franchise, and you're growing that franchise. Do you recall when all that happened? Because I know what your inspiration is, and I want to get to the audience to know what you yeah. took to the next step. But how long ago was that? I mean, you're still a young guy. I want to say this was from the beginning. I mean, we, again, we grew up doing this. And as, as kids, this was fun for us. We, we never got to experience the bad part of the business, whether it was an issue with employees, whether it was uh, customer complaints or anything like that. Yeah, even as kids, we saw a couple of crazy customers here and there. <laughs> of course. But for the most part, it was, we grew up in, uh, no, we grew up when we, when my dad opened that restaurant that we started working in, was in San Carlos, California, a small little town, Beautiful town. My grandma lived there too. So my brother and I, uh, ages, I was probably five or six, my brother a couple years older. It's like we became little local celebrities. Everyone would come into the restaurant just to say hi to us or play around with us a little bit or joke around with us. There was a couple articles in the local newspaper. And as a kid, you don't get to appreciate these things. It's just kind of like, okay, it happened, you know. But growing up, you see, we saw how welcoming the community was. Um, how comfortable we felt in that setting. And all in all, it was just fun. I mean, the biggest part, the worst part of what I do now is that I don't get to experience that as much as I used to. I tend to spend more time, you know, in the office, setting things running up the business, right? You're running the business yes. versus the fun part of the business, which is the people. Of course. The customers are the, the fun part of the restaurant business. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you grow. I mean, you create something successful, and at first, it's you as the personality behind the restaurant. The customers really love you. They love the food. They love the experience, and you're all part of that. But then at some point, as restaurant owner-operators, we have to delegate to key staff that I call the dream team that then run the mm -hmm. business for you so that you can work on the business, not in it anymore, and then you can grow the concept and have the big picture at 30,000 feet. Otherwise, you know, 
what's you can be a single location mom and pop forever or you can grow the business but you can't continue to work in it while you're working on it it's it's a real challenge and a balance so obviously you've struck that balance and i hope it's still fun because now you're turning other like-minded future restaurateurs onto a concept that works and i want to get into all the systems because a system is key to a franchise i don't want to get ahead of myself but somehow you got success, you got success, and the press and the media followed. I mean, you've been featured on Yahoo Finance and, and NBC. How did all that press find you? Is that anything you reached out to? <clears throat> Excuse me, or did they find you? Um, the NBC, the This Is LA TV show, they found us, um, which was pretty cool. It was with uh, Rob Valletta, um, very nice guy, and it was... He, he took a bite, I remember, when, when we did the filming of that show. He took a bite of the sandwich, right? And he's an actor. By, by trade, he's an actor. Right. And just his reaction, when they turn off the camera, I'm like, okay, cool. You, you overplayed that a little bit. He's like, actually, no, I was planning on playing it. But that was my true, real reaction. That gyro was really good. Um, so The food speaks for itself, here. then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to say, I, I gave him a little bit of a hard time as to whether or not it was a true reaction, but the fact that it took a few to go, I think, spoke for itself. Um, but yeah, more than anything, it's just, uh, you know, it's the whole family together pushing it. Um, we each have our strengths and weaknesses, so we each handle different things. Uh, my parents fly in from Greece whenever we open a new location to help set up that location. Um, we send my mom to do what moms like to do best. She goes and does all the shopping. So we actually send her to do the equipment shopping. Love it. That's and great. my dad's on the construction side. My brother and I are on the operation side. So it's, I guess it's that all the family working together to get it done that has uh, helped us grow in the community and that has helped us become uh, successful. And that success, I guess, resonated out and, you know, NBC, this is a late heard of us, and Yahoo yeah. Finance, and whoever else. I guess there was a couple more recently. Fast Casual actually picked up an advice piece uh, yesterday, which was um, for me. That's one of my favorite publications. That's awesome. So it keeps coming. I mean, the accolades obviously lead to further customers. It leads mm-hmm. to the franchise opportunities. I mean, all this is really wonderful. Now, I've been to the website. It's uh, www.eatapola.com, and obviously that's spelled A-P-O-L-A. And I've always thought that a great restaurant website really brings the experience of the restaurant to life for the customer before they actually walk in the door. And it's an enticement where the photos of the food like are tantalizing, and, and you can taste it just by looking at the picture, and you're like, oh my God, i got to have one of those right now. And your website clearly does that. And obviously, front and center on your website are traditional Greek street food, which, of course, is the gyro. And everyone's heard of the gyro. And that was really the inspiration for your restaurant, was it not? Isn't that where it all began from that? Tell us about that. It was. So when I came here for college um, a few years back, uh, down in downtown LA at USC, there's a little store called the Greek Escape. And, you know, coming from Greece to the U.S., first thing I want to find is a good gyro joint because that's what we're used to eating, gyros. We're just like everyone goes for burgers over here. We go for gyros over there, whether it's lunch, dinner, after drinking, after partying, whatever it was, we wanted a gyro. So I Googled this place, Greek Escape, 
Google is not as sophisticated as it is now back then. I walk over there. It turns out it's a, it's a fraternity and sorority gear store uh, for the Greek society. Oh, <laughs> so That was a little disappointing. Sure, sure, sure. And then I continued my search. You know what else there is out there? There's another place in downtown LA. I went over there. And unfortunately, even though it's a very popular place and they do a great job, uh, owned by a great family, it's not as it's not truly authentic. It's it's Americanized Greek, and that's what people have been experiencing here in the U.S. It's what I like to call Americanized Greek, because it's the beef and lamb, the donor, the ground pressed meat. That is not truly authentic Greek. In Greece, it's the hand stacked pork and the hand stacked uh, chicken. And I'm sure if you're in Plata, you experienced that, but you may have experienced the ground beef and lamb as well, because at a lot of the touristy places, yeah. they keep yeah. that also because they know that people expect it. Oh, gotcha. That's so yeah. interesting. That is so interesting. That's almost like in, you know, I, I had wood-fired pizzerias forever, you know, for two plus decades. And I always called American pizza just that, American pizza. But very few people realize that real Neapolitan pizza was invented in Naples like centuries ago. And there's a huge difference between traditional real Neapolitan pizza and what you might get at the typical pizza place in America or even Pizza Hut or whatever. There's a huge difference. You're talking about the same thing. You're talking about what Americans are expecting versus what is real and traditional to your country and authentic that you wanted to present. But there's also, there's also an all natural aspect. You know, we understand that you're providing, um, you know, no preservatives, no MSG, none of that Americanized stuff. It's like, okay, we want to put out a healthy product and some of um, your items, obviously gluten-free, right? Mm. And, what really surprised me was, okay, there, there are traditional elements like the beef or the chicken element. There's the onions, there's the tzatziki, which is that special secret sauce, right? And I'm sure you get a homemade recipe for that. Yep. But then I also saw fries on your euros. Tell me about that. Like, is that sort of a contradiction to what I think I'm hearing? Or is that something <laughs> to entice America? To no, don't go to the burger joint. Go to this place because you're going to love it, and it just kills the flavor profile. Like it's just amazing what the taste is like now. Adding fries to the gyro. I mean, tell us. I, I don't know. So in Greece, typically that's how it's prepared uh, with the fries and the sandwich. Um, at least I want to say northern Greece because again, southern Greece okay. and Athens, you get a little bit of a mix. Then I must have um, got the touristy stuff when I was in Greece. I never stuff, got yeah. the authentic heroes. They, they cheaped out on you. They oh, I'm so out. sorry to hear that. I'm disappointed now. I'm going to have to go back. Visit us in northern Greece to get a better experience. All right, all right. Thank you for um, clarifying. Go so ahead. Typically, the hero in, in Thessaloniki comes with. Uh, it's the meat, the pork or the chicken, uh, mm-hmm. tomatoes, onions, fries, and up north of the Saloniki, it's ketchup and mustard. Yeah. Which I know does not sound Greek at all. Um, down in Athens, they tend to do the yogurt sauce, not even a full tzatziki, just like a more commercial, deeper version of the tzatziki. So that's where we came to marry the two. We did the tzatziki because as well, people here expect it. Right, you go to a Greek restaurant, you expect to have tzatziki in your gyro. Clarify what that is. Is that that is a cucumber-based sauce? Yeah. What um, else goes into it besides cucumber? It has to be thick Greek yogurt. Greek yogurt. Um, a lot of places uh, do sour cream, or they do more watered-down yogurt. It won't work. If you want to do it right, 
the true base has to be thick Greek yogurt, mm -hmm. uh, extra virgin olive oil, cucumber. There's some dill in there, some uh, garlic, of course. You got to have the garlic. Right, right. Uh, and I believe we put, we put a pinch of uh, white pepper as well. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, uh, right. it's, pretty, it's pretty good. Most, most people know it as yogurt sauce. Uh, or tzatziki or tzatziki or any other variation. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's that in the sandwiches, then tomatoes, onions, the meat, and the fries. And uh, that's that's what we stuck to. But to do the, let's say, the California style, to be more uh, appealing to the California market, and because in general we believe in, in quality and for the customers to always get value for their money. Of course. Uh, that's how... We did the focus on, you know, the no MSG, the no fillers, the gluten-free, all our proteins are gluten-free. So that's kind of where we married the two. We married the, the Greek authenticity with what people are expecting anymore in California. And due to Greek food being very, it's a, it's a true, it's very ethnic, which is the reason why our dad never did it in the past, which is the reason why a lot of people didn't do it. It's the reason why you don't find any any Greek restaurant, you don't find enough Greek restaurants out there. And that's where we're trying to fill the void now with the franchise. Um, it's, it used to be considered too ethnic. Now it's something that people expect to find. People are looking for it. And it's been like that the past 10 years. It's one of the first things that uh, they ask us when we tell people we're Greek. They're like, oh, where's a good Greek restaurant I can go to? It's like, well, funny you should ask. Go down the street. That's our place right there. And Again, to go back, that's also why we started this. It's Greek food is severely underrepresented in the U.S. market and the global market, for that matter. Right, right. So, if you were to look, I looked at photos of what your locations look like, and the three most important things, obviously, in a restaurant business: food, service, ambiance. That's what customers expect, of course. So, we're talking about the authentic food that's all natural. That's great. The service, obviously, we'll talk about how you train your staff, how you onboard them, and the, the experience that you want your customers to receive in your restaurants, even when the franchises start to grow, because consistency there is super important. You know, you want it to taste the same. You want people to be treated, you know, like they're the most important customer in all your restaurants. But the ambiance plays a part too, the atmosphere of the restaurants. And when I look at those photos, it takes me back to Greece, the colors, the blues and the whites, the clean, the modernistic, you know, simple yet modern yet blues and whites and very clean it just makes you feel, it draws you in, right? And, and you experience, and, and we're going to get into like how the staff sort of impart the, the service experience, but I think you're hitting the nail on the head all three ways. I think that's tremendous. Well, we, we hope so. And that's where the experience of the whole family comes to yeah. play. Um, I myself, I'm one of the worst salespeople and imagination is zero uh, for design. So that, that's where my dad and my brother come into play. Uh, my dad was always a little bit better in, in, and my mom, actually. So I guess I'm the black sheep in the family and part of design. But <laughs> Well, shared so strengths, right? You uh, have to say that uh, I had a couple ideas. Yeah. And uh, the rest was just the family on the design between my mom, my dad, and my brother. And then a couple things that I saw from other restaurants, the trends of where things are going. Uh, in terms of the ambience and just trying to keep it as Greek as possible without making it, for lack of a better word, cheesy or corny. 
Oh, you know, yeah. we, wanted, we wanted to keep the, the Greek theme, the yes, to to people to feel that it's it's a trip back to Greece, like you said, in a sense, uh, without it being the bright blue chairs and uh, blue and white stripes on the wall and all that stuff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, that's the impression I get. I'm I'm in the coast of Maine. I have not visited one of your restaurants, but the next time I'm in California post-COVID, I look forward to trying it because one, I love the culture. I love the food. I loved going to Greece. And I could tell that it's the closest thing to a Greek experience you're going to get without actually going to Greece. I mean, that's great. And that's what you set out to achieve. So um, kudos to you guys for doing that. Guys, take it from me. From one operator to another, I'll tell it to you straight. Nobody likes greasy pots and pans, and I want to keep my dish guys happy. So we upgraded to Dawn Professional Pot and Pan. Dawn Professional cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink than our old soap, the so-called leading competitor. Less dish soap means fewer sink changeovers and a happier dish crew. Try Dawn Professional in your place. It's clean, upgraded. Let's talk a little bit more about what what on your menu besides the gyro has become popular. Do you do Greek salads? Do you do, um, I want to hear about the lemon butter rice recipe, which is obviously a family tradition as well. What else is on the menu? So I want to say one of the top sellers besides the gyro is the Greek salad, which we put in our fast food drive through restaurants as well back in starting 2010. Mm-hmm. And they were a big hit from people that were buying just your regular chicken salad with the mixed greens and chicken breast on top, egg and cheese and whatever else we put on there and tomato. Uh, suddenly they're making the switch to the traditional Greek salad. And that was another struggle to educate people that a true Greek salad has uh, no greens in it, has no lettuce. Mm-hmm. It's true. The, the villagers salad, as we call it in Greece, is just tomatoes, cucumbers, red onions, bell peppers, feta cheese and olives. And of course, the olive oil, salt, pepper, and oregano. That's it. And people have asked me for the recipe to the dressing, and we give it out. You know why? Because it's not a secret. It's not a family secret. That is how Greek salads are made in Greece. I'm not going to keep that as a secret. I'll post it on the website if you guys want to know how to make a true Greek salad. That's a beautiful salad. It just depends on Mm -hmm. uh, that's all. You have to have the right ingredients, though. You know, so we do the Roma tomatoes. Roma tomatoes have a little bit more of aroma, a little bit stronger flavor. Um, so it all just comes into play beautifully. And it's not just the olive oil, but if you're cutting the tomato over the bowl versus on, on, on a cutting board, you get all the juices from the tomato as well. So then the juices mixing with the olive oil just makes it, it, it makes it's spectacular, I want to say. So that became one of the most popular items. Uh, from 2010 until the time we opened the Pola, at all our other restaurants, uh, one of our top items was the Greek salad. So we just continued the same at a Pola as well, naturally. And um, other than that, like you mentioned, the rice, which is my mom's recipe. That's the rice that we grew up on uh, at home. That's the rice she would make. And it's just... Uh, just like the name says, it's lemon butter, and we use a very popular um, brand of rice. I don't know if I'm able to say what brand. That depends on you. But you can if you'd uh, like. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. So we use Uncle Ben's rice. It's, okay. That's what my mom always used at home. That's what we use at the restaurants. Yes, it costs us a little more money, but it's good quality, and people know it, and you give a good product at the end. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. So the secret to success is – 
authentic food, keeping it simple. The menu is not extensive. The customers mm-hmm. love the choices. There's another, there's something for everyone, but it's not, like I said, overly expensive, which keeps the food cost down. And you know exactly yeah. you know, what you're selling. You probably have very little waste and, and spoilage, which is, which is a beautiful thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of keeping it simple and getting yeah. your costs dialed. Let's talk about the experience that you provide. Let's talk about the customer service. Let's talk about, I'm a first time customer. I just walk in the door. How am I treated by your staff and how do you train your staff to deliver a consistent experience? Well, that's, um, it's always easier to train someone that's willing to learn. So it's, there's, we used to have this mentality that we want to find someone that has experience from other restaurants because for our diners and our fast food restaurants, it was quicker, cheaper, easier to train them to just do that job and knock it out. Um, when it comes to Apollo, we found it not necessarily easier, but more effective to find people with no experience because we're not doing something that's been really done before. Uh, So it was easier to just create new habits than to try to get them to break the old habits. We had a clean slate training people from scratch. So if you have someone who is naturally a people's person, you don't have to train them to say hi to people and smile. That comes naturally to them. Absolutely. Um, Surprisingly, that was one of our biggest struggles in the beginning to find those people. And it still is because during the interview, a lot of people are shy, you know, they won't smile, they won't open up. So we try to uh, lighten up the conversation and make it a conversation versus an interview to actually get the feel of who that person really is. Uh, But for the most part, that's it. Just to find people that are willing to learn and uh, that are natural, happy people's people, (laughs) that they're a people's person. And from there on, we have our whole system since the beginning was designed for growth. Uh, When before we even opened, the idea was that if we're going to do this, it'll be to be able to just copy paste from one location to the other. So our, our setup on our production line and our training is standardized. And that's what the franchise is about. That's what the franchisees will be getting. A standardized process, an easy process, that if someone is sharp enough, we have them trained to work the front line in half an hour. It's, it's easy systems to remember. We have training guides. We even created a, a quiz based on the training guide just to help instill that in their memory. Um, and that, that takes care of our front line. The back line is always a little more difficult. It takes always a little bit longer to, to train people. Sure. And one of our biggest struggles was actually on on the proper carving and cooking of the meats. Uh, So we had people, we partnered with the largest meat company in Greece uh, that opened up a plant out here in in the U.S. And we partnered with them for, first of all, for the authenticity part. Because if you're working with the largest supplier of gyro in Greece, well, you're basically giving the same product that they're giving in Greece, right? So we partnered with them and they were able to help us by also sending uh, people from Greece to our restaurants to properly train them on the cutting of the meats, on the cooking of the meats, and even on the wrapping of the sandwiches. So at at both our openings, we have people fly in from Greece to train our back of the line on proper cooking and cutting. 
and again, with this being something new, something that not too many people are doing, uh, we have struggles with uh, the local health departments where we have to Mm -hmm. not train, but educate the inspectors on the proper preparation of the vertical cones because they were with, with the health department not being educated as much on it. Obviously they want to push for, for maximum safety. Right. So that's where we have to come in. And we brought a study from Rutgers university that shows the proper cooking, storing, handling of the gyro cones. So on our end, it's been every step of the way, there's been a struggle to make this work because it's something new. Yeah. But we've worked out all those hurdles at this point to where we can say that now we're truly ready to push this, to grow, to sell the franchise, to to share all this knowledge and and, and help the company and the brand grow. Yeah. So a new franchisee is interested in your concept. What type of experience, what type of resources are you looking for for the ideal person that, you know, strikes a balance between prior experience or business skills, I should say. They, they don't necessarily have had to be in the restaurant business, maybe, but if they've run a business before, they got business skills, and they have a certain investment, you know, is that what you're looking for? Tell us what you're looking for in a franchisee. So there's... There's different types of operators that we're looking for. There's the owner-operator store, which that'll be, let's say, just like your mom-and-pop store. It'll be a single or two-unit operator. Mm-hmm. That'll be the family working in there, maybe a husband and wife team. A husband works one store, wife works the other. Or they work together and one does the management, the other works the line or whatnot, right? Just gotcha. different variations, again, skills and weaknesses of each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the... Um, I guess we could bundle these stuff together, but whether it's two to five locations or two to a hundred locations that someone wants to get, that ends up being the, your more, I don't want to say educated, but your more savvy entrepreneur that knows how to manage people, knows how to grow, knows how to keep systems in place and so on and so forth. Now we're, we have systems set up for both. Because at the end of the day, the operation of the store is the same and will be the same whether there's another restaurant here in California or in Texas or in North Carolina or wherever else. Right. But we do have the ability to educate and train the one to two unit franchisee. And typically the larger franchisees don't need that much educating on on the operation, not on the operations, on the business management side. They already have their teams in place. So we're set up for both. But what we are truly looking for is what um, our consultant uh, calls it. And are we are we allowed to swear here? And we can speak freely? Absolutely. Right? Not really swear, but he likes to call it the jerk factor. That's what we're looking for. And we did turn down some, some offers of potential franchisees because of that. Yeah, I get that. Uh, we're looking for people that are not going to be jerks down the line. Yeah, you know, right. It's, it's, it has to be people that are willing to learn, that are willing to keep an open mind and understand that they don't have all the answers and neither do we. But we can find all the answers together. It's what one professor of mine always used to say is, I don't care if you guys know the correct answer. I care if you know where to go to find the answer. And we know where to go. We There's several resources, but more than anything, it's conversations like this with fellow restaurant people that we get 
the correct answers. We get a little brainstorming during conversations that you always find the correct answers. And that's what is the most important thing for franchisees to know that you have to have an open mind. Rome was not built overnight. There's a program. If you stick to the program, you will be successful. We give them all the tools, all the resources, but at the end of the day, how successful someone will be depends on how they use those tools and resources. Makes perfect sense. Let me ask you a little bit more about the franchise operation. We've talked about standardization. We've talked about consistency. But in order to maintain those two things, the product, I mean, there are certain requirements like uh, your franchisees have to use that meat supplier. Do they have to have the same exact same ingredients, the same Roma tomatoes, the same onions? Is there any freedom to source things outside or do they have to buy everything from your parent company, that sort of thing? No, so we don't have, uh, other than a couple graphics, a couple, you know, marketing items, Mm -hmm. we want, it's an open market. However, the meats have to come from that supply, from that, um, from that supplier. Whether you get it through, Whether they get it through Cisco or they get it through U.S. Foods or Vitco Foods, which is who we use, or whoever else is local in their, in their state, um, they're more than welcome to use wherever they want. Now, that being said, we have to approve those vendors. We have to see their practices. Uh, we have to make sure that they carry the same quality of products. Um, but at the end of the day, all we want from our franchisees is to make money. There's a lot of franchisors out there that get rebates, uh, that um, try to sell as much as they can, uh, like you said, from the parent company. We don't want any of that. We want our franchisees to make and save as much money as they possibly can. Awesome. That's why we consider it an open market. There's certain things that, yes, you have to buy this type of uh, yogurt, for example. You have to buy this type of uh, this gyro cone, this pork gyro cone, this. But other than that, it's an open market. We want everyone to save and make as much money as possible because it's a business. And that's sure. what we learned growing up. You have to keep not just your initial costs down, which is where our development experience and my dad's construction experience and all of us together came into play that we kept our opening costs low compared to several other fast casual restaurants in the market. We're only uh, two to 500,000 as of now as our startup costs, which is pretty low compared to most. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We also want our, our ongoing, um, the, the franchisees' ongoing expenses to be kept as low as possible because that's the only way to make money. Things are getting tighter and tighter anymore between taxes, work comp, uh, increase in minimum wage. That There's only so many things you can control. So why would we push to get 1% or 2% of that as a rebate from our franchisees? Mm. We don't want to grow on our franchisees' backs as other companies do. It's, we want our franchisees to grow on themselves, and then from that, we will grow with them. So I'm getting it's a collaboration and it's a team effort, and you're all in the it's same boat rowing forward. Yeah, partnership. It's a partnership. That, that's what we see. And that's why the jerk factor comes into play. Absolutely. You so can't work with... It's like a marriage. You can't work with a jerk. <laughs> Glad you mentioned that. That makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, that movie, The Founder, comes to mind. If you've ever seen it, all about Ray Kroc and his journey to starting McDonald's. And he came across quite a few jerks that suddenly started offering chicken when the menu was burgers. And it's like they wanted to do it their way. And, And your whole plan with any successful franchise is 
to maintain the image overall of that brand, the, the true to the concept and, and move it forward down the road. So let me ask you, every franchise charges a royalty of obviously for the concept, the name, the brand, all that sort of thing. Is there also a marketing fee because you provide universal marketing that they use that, that extend that brand, no matter if it's in South Carolina or Texas or California? There is. We don't have it into effect yet, but it is okay. part of what uh, yep. franchisees sign up for. Uh, the reason why we don't have it in effect yet is because every dollar that's spent from a marketing fund is supposed to um, feed the system as a whole. So at this point, if we get a franchisee, let's say, in one in Texas and one in Seattle, yep. every dollar you spend in Texas for advertising, you have to spend in Seattle for advertising, but it has to be for the system overall. And as of now, the company is not large enough to do nationwide advertising. So we leave the marketing, at least in the beginning stages, up to the franchisee. We guide them on what type of marketing to do. We do have our social media pages and, and all the advertising we do on the back end for that. Uh, but as of now, yes, there is a marketing fee in the FDDs, but it's not enforced yet. Can you tell us what your social media handles are so that the audience can find you? Yep, it's at Apollo Euro, Apollo G-Y-R-O. Okay, and that's for Facebook and for Instagram? I believe so. I'm one of the worst people to ask for social media, but if I remember correctly, that's okay, what cool. it is. All right, but awesome. I always like to just refer people to Google. I, honestly, how I look it up is Facebook. Apollo Green Grill or Instagram Apollo Green Grill and then pop up the handle and I probably should have had these ready before we got on this. Uh, no problem. Yeah, I, I'm going to put all this in the show notes to the episode so people can find you easily. Great. I I can yeah. I can Google it myself before we we release the episode. Let's let's move or I should say pivot back to the COVID crisis. Did you guys do? takeout and any kind of delivery service prior to COVID and it was easy for you to pivot your operation when you had limited service or no service at all in-house? How did that all go? So we actually didn't have to pivot at all other than moving everything that was on the customer side, like uh, forks, knives, uh, lids for the drinks. We just moved that behind the counter. Other than that, it was business as usual. We were set up from the beginning for online ordering through our website, very smooth, easy online ordering process. Uh, we were set up with only with Grubhub at the time, and we still are only with Grubhub for third-party delivery. Mm -hmm. uh, we are considering adding the rest of the platforms just to see how it'll play out. Um, and we had curbside pickup set up. We had a phone order set up. Our POS system is is pretty, it's a, it's a good, strong POS system, whereas when people call in, if they want the same order as last, last time, it's just a push of a button that shows their last order. So it's all, all those systems were already in place. What system do you use for POS? It used to be called Mobile Bytes. They were bought out by Heartland, so now it's Heartland's POS. Oh, okay. Yeah, famous company that does credit card processing as well. I mean, I worked with them for years. Correct. And uh, they are one of the, you know, in this business, as I'm sure you know, you were, what, 20-something years in the business? Yeah, uh, Every, every week you get someone, oh, I can save you money on credit card processing. But at the end of the day, what we liked with Heartland, with Heartland as yeah. a credit card yeah. company, wasn't just the trans, wasn't just the savings, but it was also the transparency. It was truly the only statement I could actually read and verify what the charges were and what money was coming in. 
I remember that. I was with Heartland for a long, long time as well. And you're right. There was transparency and not all these hidden charges and fees that yeah. you can't make sense of the statements. And they were, ex- uh, well, competitive isn't the word. I mean, nobody could touch them when I ran restaurants in terms of the, you know, the, the fee they were charging. So yeah. it, it worked for us. It's working for you. That's great. Yeah. Boy, so you're in a good position. <laughs> yeah, we were. We were you didn't have to. The experience yeah. that comes into play, which is what the franchisees are paying for without franchise fee. You know, did you is, notice any drop in business at all then? If you really just business did. as usual, was it significant? Two um, different locations, two different results. Yeah. Uh, the one by uh, business lunch crowd area mm. uh, killed us. Killed us. Uh, I believe 70% drop. Um, also some management issues there, which now have been resolved and slowly we see growing back up and now we're i want to see about 15 percent lower than what we were pre-covid at that location um our your belinda location we are actually a little bit busier than we were before in the beginning we had a drop um quite a significant drop in the first few weeks especially people were scared uh, staying home, uh, you know, I mean, consumer <laughs> confidence took a, took a plunge. Yeah. 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 Everyone went through it in the beginning. So those first few weeks were, were tough. And the only pivot we made at the time was that we, we started selling essential, essential groceries just to bring enough cash flow in so we wouldn't have to let anyone go. Mm. And I believe that built some rapport with the community as well. And yes. a couple months later, suddenly we're doing numbers. Uh, consistent to last year and some months a little bit higher. Great. So yeah. you're on the upswing now. Things are, you're turned yeah. a corner. That's, that's really. In- profits are up as well, but some expenses yeah. are up. So profits sure. are Well, that's inspiring because obviously we've all heard of all the restaurant closures that have happened. Unfortunately, those that either chose not to continue because they didn't want to renew a lease or those that just couldn't pivot or, you know, were crushed by it. And then there's the resilient operators that figured out a way to either pivot or improve their business, transform it now so that it would grow and become stronger down the road. And it sounds like you, you guys were in a great position. That's terrific. Thank God we were able to adapt and keep swimming. Well, Yanni, it's been a super pleasure having you on the podcast. Once again, audience, if you want to check out Apola, it's eatapola.com. And that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, thanks so much. I hope that you found Yanni's story really inspiring and that you took away a lot of key learnings, as I certainly did from the episode. You know, I want you to know that if you have any challenges or pain points, please reach out to me because I love talking shop with other operators. I offer a 30-minute, absolutely no obligation, free consultation call, and we'll just talk about whatever keeps you up at night. Or if you have a question about how to put a system in place in your business to run a stronger, more profitable operation, it could be about anything. So reach out to me, please, Roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. I'd also like to give a special thanks to this week's sponsors, restaurantbrands.com, as well as Dawn Professional Dish Liquid. And lastly, I'd like you to know that my friend Jamie Oikel and I of runningrestaurants.com 
is putting on, we are putting on the Optimism and Opportunity Virtual Restaurant Conference. It is coming up next Tuesday, the 13th from 11 to 4. It's a full action-packed section. You can register absolutely free. The first 1,000 registrations are free at virtualrestaurantshow.com. And I'd like to thank the sponsors of our show. Thanks to our diamond sponsor, Performance Food Service, Platinum Sponsor, Fiorucci Foods, and Gold Sponsors, Beaver Street Fisheries, Butterball, Handguards, Food Handler, and Yaritos. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.